We're in Matthew chapter 15, and uh, the last three verses of Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is in the area of Gennesaret, which is the lower end of the Sea of Galilee, and he is really bringing healing and deliverance to thousands of people. In fact, the scripture says that they were made perfectly whole. I mean, you know, that's wonderful when you're perfectly made whole. And Jesus healed so many, there was quite a, uh, quite a report sent back to Jerusalem that Jesus was on fire for God, that he was healing the sick and, and cleansing the leper, and what an awesome uh, Messiah. They were trying to figure out whether or not he was the Messiah, and they didn't, didn't want to agree, the scribes and the Pharisees, and even today, they don't want to agree on Jesus. But I've agreed. How many of you agreed? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Then came Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth his father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah the prophet say, uh, speak of you, prophesying of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and the commandments of men. We'll stop there. I want to use for a subject this morning a tradition gone bad. You may be seated. A tradition gone bad. Now, Jesus has been doing, performing miracle after miracle in if you remember in the area of Gennesaret is where the demon was cast out of the man who had a demon which claimed to be legion. It was after Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee to go to Gennesaret area, many people were being healed. And in the account of Matthew, they, the word was sent to Jerusalem. In fact, the scribes and the Pharisees, word came to the Sanhedrin. You say, what is the Sanhedrin? Well, it is the Supreme Court of Israel. And their location was on their little fancy seats in Jerusalem in the temple area. And the Sanhedrin, they heard of what Jesus was doing, so they sent delegates. They sent some scribes and some Pharisees to go down to talk to Jesus, to see what Jesus is doing because he was creating quite a stir down a hundred miles away, actually. They, they, they came a hundred miles to find fault with Jesus Christ. Shoot, I know some folks across the street and can find fault with 
the work of God. But these scribes and Pharisees traveled 100 miles to where Jesus was. And when they got there, they discovered that um, the disciples, and, and the Bible says in Mark 7, 2, in fact, in Mark chapter 7 is the account, verse 1, uh, so on, down to, I think, verse 20 or so is the account, down to verse 23 is the account of the same where the, the scribes and the Pharisees came to find out about Jesus Christ. And so when they came down there, they discovered that in Mark 7, 2, verse 2 of Matthew 15 says, they asked Jesus, why do the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, there's always that one among us that doesn't need, you know, feels like he shouldn't wash his hands. There's always folks, you know, uh, you moms know what I'm talking about. You got to make your kid go wash their hands. And some of you have to make your husband go wash their hands. But anyway, but in, in this Mark 7, it tells us that some, verse 2, that some of the disciples, there's always a few that don't wash their hands. Now, in this story, he's not talking so much about hygiene. I mean, you can wash your hands all day long, and it won't make you holy. But it can keep you healthy, physically. And so we understand that there are certain traditions that we have that are good, and there, there's traditions that the church has taken on through the years that was not good. Now, I, I want to address this because it's real important to me. At least I feel like it's important. There is no dress code in this church. You want to come in overalls, you come in overalls. You want to come in, in blue jeans, come in blue jeans. If you want to come in a dress, men, don't. Women, <laughs> come in a dress. Well, you know... It, if there's one out there that insists on a dress, come on. We want, we want you to be in church. But anyway, there is no dress code in our church. We do, you know, I didn't dress up today to prove a point. Nor do I dress down on Wednesday or Sunday night to prove a point. I don't dress up to prove a point that I'm better or I require something of you more than what the Bible requires. Nor do I dress down to prove a point. I am not going to dress down to try to conflict or to belittle our forefathers 40, 50 years ago. Many years ago, no one went to church without a suit and tie on or a beautiful dress, and the ladies wore their pretty hats. And I'm not going to dress down to try to insult them any more than I'm going to dress up to try to insult those that would come not dressed in like attire. It's not about our clothing. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about our attitude toward Jesus Christ. And it grieves my heart when I see preachers, it almost like they try to prove a point that the traditions of our forefathers was bad, bad, bad. Well, what's wrong with dressing up nice? Nothing. But if you want to dress down, that's okay. Your knees can come out of your britches. And my mom always put patches on my knees when I had holes in them. 
Now they go out and buy them that way. I don't understand people that go out and buy pants that's ripped all to pieces, look like a pit bull's got a hold of them. But, you know, it doesn't matter to me what you wear. You can come to church this morning in your pajamas for all I care. I don't care. You can come barefooted. You can come whatever, orange shoes, yellow shoes, blue shoes, no shoes. I don't care. And God doesn't either. But God does care about our attitude, our reverence to him. And once again, I wouldn't dress down to try to make someone feel bad because they dress up, nor would I dress up to make someone feel bad because they've dressed down. And so many pastors in these last generation, in the last 10 years, it almost like they try to strip themselves down so they can condemn the traditions of the elders in the past. There's nothing wrong with dressing up nice. But there are traditions that have gone bad. Not all traditions are bad. In fact, when the scribes and the Pharisees came down, I'm sure they came in their best attire. I'm sure they came in their nicest of robes. And when they came down, they came down and they looked at the disciples and it didn't say that they accused Jesus of not washing his hands. I think Jesus did. It says in verse 2 of Mark 7 that some of the disciples didn't wash their hands. Let's see. Let me see. Peter, James, John. You know, I don't know. But it makes no difference how much you wash on the outside. You can't get the Holy Ghost washcloth on the inside without the forcible power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that goes deep within our hearts and our lives. Only the Holy Spirit, the birth of uh, a new birth in Christ, gets down into our heart and truly makes us clean unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, the traditions of the elders. I want to talk about the traditions of the elders just a little bit. First of all, the traditions of the elders. The first scribe recorded in the Bible is Ezra. When they were coming out of Babylonian captivity, they found the law of God. Ezra was, and the scribe's job was to write down, rewrite the law of God. And the scribes would write little footnotes and they would write little, kind of like a commentary. And they ended up writing so many footnotes that people began to ex- believe that the footnotes, the scribes' writings, for exceeded even the commandments or the law of God. They began to make it equal to the Scriptures. And because of that, there was um, abuse toward people and toward the things of God. See, the traditions originally was intended to be a fence around the commandments of God. It was, it was a fence to protect people from going too far and committing adultery, or going too far and, and, and stealing from their neighbor, or coveting their neighbor's things. It was a commandment, uh, the, the fence, the oral commandments was a fence around the law of God so that if you don't climb over the fence or don't go past the fence, you're safe. But then they made the fence electrified, electric fence, and instead of keeping you from breaking the law, 
they kept you from getting to God. And their their traditions kept people from getting to God. And so the scribes and the Pharisees go down. In fact, all the writings were, uh, I believe the scripture said that their writings was called the Mizna. The Mizna was just a repeating of the traditions, oral repeating, and they had 80 volumes. 80 volumes on how to present yourself in dietary or washing of hands or cleaning, cleansing yourself before going before God. 80 volumes. There was 30 chapters on how to wash dishes. Now, I know you're thinking dishes like mom in the sink and all that. And, and you know, I come along before the dishwasher. And my mom and dad had nine men dishwashers and two women dishwashers. It wasn't until later on we had the little dishwasher that you rolled out there and hooked up. You know what I'm talking about. And I was the best dishwasher of them all. Man, I could throw suds and sling water everywhere. Uh, and, and, and I got so good at it, Mom said, James doesn't get to wash dishes today. And I'd go around the corner and go, yes! That was my plan. Amen. And so they had 30 chapters on how to wash dishes. Now, it talks about the vessels in Mark, Mark chapter 7. Uh, doesn't here in Matthew chapter 15, but in Mark chapter 7, the the story, there's, there's 30 chapters on how to wash dishes. There's 100 chapters on how to wash your hands. 100 chapters on how to wash your hands. And so these scribes and Pharisees came in verse 2, and they asked Jesus, why is it that your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, how many know that got Jesus pretty riled up? Hello. Nobody wants to be corrected, especially when you're trying to correct everybody else. And they were trying to correct Jesus, and Jesus were telling them, uh, or they were telling Jesus, why, why do your disciples not keep the traditions of the elders? And Jesus just snaps back at them. And here's what he says to them. Not all traditions are good, verse 3 through 9. He says, why do ye also transgress the commandment by your tradition? So Jesus said, right back at you. Now the washing of hands, and as I said, there's a hundred chapters on washing of hands and what they would do. And in fact, uh, washing of hands goes way back. It talks about Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha. I remember when we used to haul hay, and there wouldn't be much, you know, had a pail of water or a bucket of water, uh, um, a, a cooler, and uh, we would go uh, get ready for lunch. We're going to eat some sandwiches. We've been hauling hay most of the day. We're sweaty. We're nasty. And Sharon, my sister-in-law, or, or one of my brothers would say, hold your hands out. And I'd hold my hands out, and they'd pour water on my hands. And they'd pour, we wouldn't put a lot of water because water was 
scarce at that time. We would wash our hands. But as I did a study on how they washed their hands, they would hold their hands up like this. It had to be running water. And they'd hold their hands up like this, and the water would be poured over the tips of their hand, and it would drip down to their wrist and then down. After that, they would turn their hands around. They'd pour water down their tips, down their palms, and down to the deal. And after that, they would take their hands and hold them together, and they'd run water. There was a limited amount of water. They had to use so much water in order for the hands to be clean. I mean, come on. They had to do, they had to do a hundred, they had to do a, a hundred chapters, so they had to talk about how much water to use. And they would wash their hands and they would come to their tips and go down and it would go down to their elbows and then after they washed their hands, they're holy. They're ready to go after that lamb chop. Now, some of us kind of make fun of that, but it was later on in the early, um, not too far, two or three hundred years ago, that doctors discovered that there was benefits from washing like that. And they'd scrub up all the way down to their elbows, and when they got ready, they're, instead of going for the lamb chops, they're going for your appendix. So there is a lot of great truths in cleansing and washing our hands, but once again, it doesn't make us holy. It just helps make us or keeps us healthy. And nobody wants to eat with dirty hands unless you're really young or, you know, you just, you just, you know, you. Amen. And not all traditions were, were actually um, good. Some of the traditions were bad. Some traditions were good. For instance, we have a tradition here. We shake hands with people. That's a tradition. It doesn't say, thou shalt shake hands with a hundred people or thou shalt go to hell this week. It says the preacher should be given to hospitality. It says we're to lift up holy hands unto the Lord, but that's a spiritual application, not a physical application. We shake hands because we're friendly. Amen? It's a tradition and we're not going to tell people, well, you know, that preacher didn't even shake my hand. I'm not going back to church because I've committed some great sin because I didn't shake your hand. Shaking hands is not sinful. Shaking ha not shaking hands is not sinful. Neither one is sinful. Shaking hands or not shaking hands doesn't matter. But we shake hands. It's a tradition. I traveled in evangelism for several years, and sometimes I would be asked by a church, when you come to the pulpit, make sure that you have a black Bible. You cannot have anything but a black Bible. And we want you to have a white shirt and a black tie. Now, I didn't show up in my overalls, and bless God, I'll show them. I showed up with a black Bible, a black tie, and a white shirt. It stayed white until I ate. 
I did it because I wanted to respect them. Nothing wrong with respecting people. Hello. But if I'd have went to the pulpit with a red Bible, although everybody ought to have a red Bible, you agree? Blue Bible, black Bible, whatever. If I'd have went with a different color Bible, I wouldn't have been sinning against God, but I would have been offending the leadership of the church. So here we come to traditions. I remember when I traveled in evangelism, they had what they called the penny march. I mean, know what the penny march was. Well, the penny march is when all the kids get all the change out of your pockets. And they put a little basket up at the front and they get all your change and little kids go around begging and getting your change. And they walk forward while someone plays a song and they put their pennies and they call that the penny march. Well, that's a tradition. It works good in a home church. Work good in a small church. But I mean, you know, it wouldn't work good in a mega, a big church. Because the treasurer would quit the first day because of all the change. I remember that tradition they had when they, if you've got a birthday, come forward. And I never figured this out. You had to pay if it was your birthday. When I was at one of them small churches and it was my birthday, I never fessed up, never told anybody because I wanted to hang on to my money. <laughs> and I didn't want them to sing happy birthday to me in church. Anniversary, remember that? They sing happy anniversary. Now, none of those is wrong. That's a tradition. And there's nothing wrong with that tradition. But on the same token, we can't, Take that tradition and exalt it above the Word of God and say, if you don't have a penny march, you're not right with God. If you don't have a happy, happy birthday song for those that have a birthday, then your church is going to hell in a handbasket. You can't take a tradition and exalt it above the Word of God. Nor should you take a tradition and belittle people over it. Come on now. I, uh, I've seen a lot of things traveling in evangelism. And how many know religion can be absolutely bazooka? They, religion can be crazy. Crazy ideas. Once again, those children never forget that. Penny March was wonderful. So I'm not belittling, I'm just saying there comes a time when you can't exalt tradition above the Word of God, nor can you belittle people that have traditions as long as it's not hurting and defying the Scriptures. The, this tradition of the washing of hands before they ate was not a, uh, was not a dietary or not a, uh, a, a cleanly type. It was a ritual they thought you were holy because you washed your hands. In fact, they believed that there was a demon called Chaita or Shiptal, and they believed the demon could get on your hand while you're sleeping. Or when your hands are dirty, this demon can get on your hand. And then if you don't wash that demon off, you'll get on your food, your bread, you'll swallow that demon down, and boom, you've got problems. Oh, I wish you could wash a demon off with water. 
How many know that was a ridiculous thing that they believed? And so we need to understand about traditions and be important. It's important that we understand that traditions can change or alter the attitude of people and which would bring sin into one's life because they exalt traditions above the Word of God. And these scribes and these Pharisees came and said, why aren't they obeying the tradition of the elders? And Jesus Christ come right back at them. And he says to them, right back at them, he said, why, verse 3, do you transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? Now, what was the tradition? In verse 4, the commandment was to honor your father and your mother, and, um, and um, he that curseth his father or mother, let him die the death. That's in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and mother, mother as your days be long, or be long upon the earth. Exodus 21, verse 17, you curse your mother and father, you're stoned to death. You die. And Jesus Christ says, why do you transgress the commandment to take care, to honor your mother and your father? And he goes on to say, what you do is your mother and father might need something in their life. They might need a chair. They might need bread. They might need a piece of real estate. They might need a place to sleep. They might need a bed. And what you do is you, verse uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 11, you say, no, 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 I don't have it. It's korban, korban. Now, korban simply meant that everything I have is a gift to God. So when the parents say they need something, you just say, Kaban, everything I have is in trust with the temple of God. I put all my possessions in a trust, and the temple is the trust. Well, with the trust, you can spend it any way you want, but it belongs to the person that's on the end of the trust. And so they get out of taking care of their family by saying, Korban, saying, well, it's tied up. I can't get to it. It's in CD. I can't get to it. It's in a trust fund. I can't get to it. I can't help you. And it's all excuses to keep from taking care of your mother and father. And Jesus said, why do you transgress the law of God and you say what you have is Korban? In other words, what you have is in trust with the temple. And Jesus said, when you do that, you're nothing more than a hypocrite. It's funny how people treat people when there's, a, when there's a will or an estate. It's funny how sons and daughters or family members become enemies because there's a little bit of change left behind. They fight over a piece of property or fight over a house or fight over real estate. Why? Because... Their heart's not right with God. They have greed for things. And these Pharisees and these scribes, they, they found a way out. They say, Korban, I, I put everything I have in, in, in trust with the temple. So I don't have to help my mom and dad out. It belongs to God. That's G-O-U-D, God. It belongs to God. 
And so I don't have to, and all the time they're just hanging on to their stuff. They can spend it the way they want. They can do what they want with it. it they're not, they don't have to answer to anybody. And when, if they sell something or, or, or they spend something, they just go back and say, come on again. And it's just put back in the trust. And Jesus Christ said, you dishonor your family. And Isaiah 29, he says, you're like Isaiah the prophet said, you, 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 you honor, you draw nigh to me with the mouth, you draw nigh to God with your mouth, and you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me, Isaiah 29, verse 13. And in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. I am, I'm very concerned about how we sometimes like to link things to salvation. We like to add things to salvation. For instance, the tradition of dedicating a baby. That's a tradition. It's a good tradition. We dedicate, Judy and I dedicated our babies. And then Judy dedicated them along the way with a paddle. All our kids were dedicated all the time. Nothing wrong with dedicating a baby. I, I love baby dedications. They're so cute. The parents ain't much, but the baby's cute. I love dedications, but you can't mistake that dedication for salvation for that child. Nor can you mistake christening a child in a church and mistake that for being a Christian because you were christened as a child or you were baptized as a child. That's a tradition. That's a tradition that's gone bad because no one can be born again until they know what they're doing, until they can truthfully repent of their sin. And they've come to that place of accountability and they're giving their heart to Jesus Christ and they know they're saved and then they can be baptized. But there's people that add things. They add things. There's people that add things. Well, you've got to belong to my church to go to heaven. Well, there's nothing wrong with having a tradition of going to church. We've got a good crowd. I'm glad you're in the tradition. Hallelujah. But that tradition don't save one person in this room. Hello? And when the Pharisees begin to exalt their oral traditions above the Word of God, and the fence that that originally was good, it was a fence to circle the law of God. They meant it for good, but then it, it got electrified. It got uh, Phariseefied. It got, it got uh, hypocritical. And it began to keep people from God. And Jesus Christ said, you are a hypocrite because you get around the commandment of God by your tradition, Quran. You're a hypocrite. You mean Jesus called him a hypocrite? Yep, that's what he did. He called him a hypocrite. Now, that don't give me a license to run around calling everybody a hypocrite. But how many know Jesus was pretty well put out with it? And I love this next one. The Pharisees were offended. The Pharisees were offended. Jesus Christ said, you break the commandment of God by your tradition, by saying, Corban, you don't treat your parents right, you put on an act, you put on a show, but you're not 
your heart is far from God. You're not, you, you cleanse the outside of the platter, you wash the outside, and you cleanse the outside, you wash your hand, and then you claim to be holy, but that's got nothing to do with it. You are a fester of pussy unbelief and greed inside of you. I know that was a gross statement, but I had someone to wake up in the back, and I, got, I succeeded. Verse 10 through 14. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou not that, that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. Stay away from them. Let them be. Let them go. There's a blind guiding the blind, blind leaders of the blind. If, they, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. I love this. I don't love it that the, that the Pharisees were offended but let me say quickly, when Jesus Christ said, let them alone, Peter's trying to say, let's go over this again. Peter is saying in verse 15, and I call this the, I, I call this the parable of the belly. This is the parable of the belly. First, the disciples go to Jesus and they, Jesus, you know, you really offended them, guys. I guess the disciples thought Jesus wasn't supposed to do that. Well, let me tell you, friends, if the truth offends you, then offend on. And Jesus simply told them the truth. And it offended them. Peter says, you know, the disciples said, you offended them. And I believe Jesus kind of smiled and I could just hear him under his breath that, well, I intended to. You know, you did hear me call him hypocrites, didn't you? Hello? And so Peter hears about, you know, it's not what goes into a man, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. And Peter says, I don't get it. Verse 15, this is the parable of the belly. I don't get it. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye so also yet without understanding? Do not, ye, do not yet understand that whatsoever entereth into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those which... Proceed out of the mouth. Those things that proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now, 
Jesus Christ is telling Peter, understand that what you put in your mouth goes down into your stomach. And in your stomach, it purifies, it divides, it, the acids clean it out, and then it goes out into the draught. It, it, is, it is the exhaust of the body. It's not what comes out of the body through the stomach. It's what comes out of the mouth in perversion and blasphemies and iniquity. Notice he said, it's not what you eat with your mouth. He didn't say, it's not what you see with your eyes. He didn't say that. Your eyes can intake things that defile you. Your ears can intake things that defile you. But to eat something, it's not going to defile you because your stomach will digest it and it will go out into the draught. It will go out as waste. And Jesus Christ is trying to tell these people, it's not washing your hands that's, that's going to defile you. It's something, you, it, basically what he's saying to all of us in this room, our defilement is far worse than unwashed hands. Did you hear what I'm saying? Our defilement is far worse than unwashed hands. And I want to say to all of you in this room, you may be struggling with trying to please God. And trust me, please, please God as much as you can. Try to please God. But hear me, it's not the outward things that you do that's going to secure heaven for you. It's what Jesus Christ does inside you and through you, that gives you eternal life. Washing your hands doesn't make you clean inside or holy. Washing your hands helps keep you from getting sick. I, I want to stop right here and, and just, is it all right if I just chat with you for a minute? I want to chat with you for a minute. So many times we're trying to do something in order to have everlasting life. But you're too late. There's nothing that you can do to have everlasting life. Jesus already did it for you. It's not the washing of hands. It's not dressing up nice to go to church. It's not even going to church. It's not dusting the dust off your Bible. It's not turning over a new leaf. You can turn over the whole tree and it not do you any good. It's not stopping something or starting something. It's God going in because you need a scrubbing that we are far, we are far worse off than having just dirty hands. We have an unclean heart. And it's out of our mouth it defiles us. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do because our heart is corrupt. And only Jesus Christ can get into the heart. Jesus Christ can get into your heart. And he gets into your heart through your eye gate, through your ear gate. He gets into your heart through the gospel and what he did on the cross of Calvary. 
and that he lived and he, he sacrificed his blood. He died on the cross of Calvary. He went to the grave. He arose again from the grave. The story of Jesus turns in our heart, purifies us. We repent of our sins. We turn from our wicked ways. We repent, we repent, we repent, and we turn to Jesus Christ. We're crushed inside because we need God, and there's nothing we can do to save us. It must take a sovereign move and a sovereign gospel of Jesus Christ, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus Christ. It has to be something done in us that is impossible for us to do. Being born again is impossible without Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ comes in, he can do the possible. He can do the impossible. He can come and touch us and give us eternal life. Jesus Christ said, there's no hope for these guys. Verse 14, let them alone. They're the blind. Leaders are the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Jesus Christ is saying these people are wicked because they had adopted the transgression, korban, will not even take care of their family, holding on to their riches, holding on to their assets, not willing to help anybody. Why? Because they were greedy inside. And Jesus Christ says in verse 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So that brings me to this. It doesn't matter what you wear to church. It doesn't matter whether you dress up or dress down. It doesn't matter how well you sing or how much music you sing. It doesn't matter what you go through because you can't have life with God until there's a resurrection. I mean, you can walk up to a casket. And you can say that to that dead body, that sleeping body. Your tie's on crooked. Let me straighten that up. You got a hair out of place. Let me put that where it needs to belong. Hey, let me tell you, mister, you need to live for God. That dead man is not going to come out by your teaching or your finding fault. That dead man's going to come out that hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And people that are dead spiritually, they're not going to be raised from the dead until they hear the voice of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we put on people. It's not something that we create and try to make people do certain set of rules in order to be saved. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified, him alone. He raised again from the dead. He's the Savior of the world. It's coming to Jesus Christ because you need more than pots and pans cleaned up. You need more than hands washed on the outside. You need more than, than just a, a, an outward extremity of profession in Christ. You need to have the real pulsating life of Jesus Christ throbbing in your soul. So I don't know whether I'm saved or not. Listen to your talk. That'll tell you. Just listen to what you say. Listen to what, you, what your life's all about. If you, if you, if you, have, 
If your heart beats for nothing but pleasure, then you're not, your heart's not with God. People that get things in their fire, in their bones, you know, hunting in their bones, fishing in their bones, money in their bones, pleasure in their bones. Nothing wrong with those things as long as they're not sinful, but you've got to have more than pleasure in your bones, fishing in your bones, sports in your bones. You've got to have Jesus Christ down to the bone of your life, changing your soul. Amen. See, it doesn't matter what a person takes in by their mouth. I heard a story about a guy that was preaching in a tent meeting, and they had those yellow bulbs, and one of these beetles went to circling around. And the preacher, he, and, and boy, he'd take a big breath, and Jesus, and Jesus. And about that time, that big old beetle went right down his throat. Right down his throat, he turned green. He turned every color. He said, hold it, folks, hold it, folks. I did exactly what the Bible says. He was a stranger, and I took him in. <laughs> Amen? And later on, he put him out. Right? Peter says, explain this parable to me. And Jesus says, okay, okay. You'll have a movement after a while and you'll understand what I'm saying. You didn't get that, but that's fine. Amen? We need Jesus to change our life. It's amazing how people will act when someone dies. You know, they want to change all the rules. Everybody wants to change the rules when someone dies. I heard the story. This is an old story, but uh, there was two guys in a town. They were mean. They were women, womenizers. They were drunks. They were drug addicts. They fought. They were miserable, wicked boys, uh, two brothers. They were just the vilest of the vile. And one day, one of the boys got sick and died. And the mean brother goes and says to the preacher, will you do the funeral? The preacher said, I will. He said, well, I got one thing I want you to do. I want you to tell everybody at the funeral that my brother was a saint. And the preacher said, I can't say that. I can't say that because you know he's been a womanizer, a drunkard, a, a, a drug addict. He's been so vile. I can't say, you guys have been so bad and so miserable. I can't say that. The guy said, well, there's a lot of money in it for, for you if you'll do that, preacher. Preacher thought a minute. He said, yeah. He said, I think I can do that. So they got together in the funeral service, and he's talking about Jesus, talking about God and how you got to be born again. And then he stopped in the middle of his sermon, and he said, you know what? He said, everybody in this room knows that this guy in the casket is a no good, womanizer, wicked, vile, uh, embezzler, drunkard, hateful individual, disgusting. But he said, compared to his brother sitting on the front row, he's a saint. I heard that this week, and I thought, i got to tell that. I'd heard it before, but, you know, some things need to live on. 
quit trying to do things. Quit trying to earn your salvation. Quit trying to wash your hands. Quit trying to cleanse yourself. Nothing wrong with washing your hands before you eat. That's important. But there's always those that don't care either way. You know what I'm saying. I don't care if you ain't washed your hands. Care less. Uh, sometimes I wonder if I ought to shake their hand. But anyway, if you're preparing my food, please wash your hand. But washing hands has nothing to do with salvation. Coming to church with some clone on or some perfume on, pretty clothes, and dressing up or dressing down, or coming to church and saying, bless God, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Coming to church and pretending that me and Jesus got it all worked out. I always worry about people saying, you know, me and the man upstairs, we got it. We're good. No, you're not good. You're not good till he quits being the old man upstairs and quits being your buddy pal and starts being your Lord and your God, Jesus Christ. You've got to be changed inside. You know, it wouldn't bother me a bit if 25, 30 people would have walked in here in their pajamas today. I wouldn't have cared. Because those pajamas have nothing to do with their salvation. When we first opened up this church, somebody came to the, they sat toward the back, and him and his wife, they were sizing up the place. They're looking it up. They sized, and, and, I, and I went over and shook hands, and the woman looked at me and went. And she said, Sonny, your tie's too short. It needs to be a little longer. She said, Sonny, your pants are too long. They need to be a little shorter. Sonny, your belly's too big. It needs to be sunken in a little more. And I said, ma'am, thank you for the advice. You're kind of fat yourself. <laughs> that was good. And your hair don't look very good either. She, well, I offended her. Amen? Now, I want you to know this belt right here is a picket fence around a chicken graveyard. This big round thing here is a chicken coop. Amen? But it doesn't matter what you wear. You know, uh, so many people are into what they wear. They, they, they want to dress up or you're, you're not right with God. And then there's others that want to dress down and try to say, well, the old ways are no good and the old traditions are no good. And they want to kind of throw a, throw a little mud at the past saying, well, we're not wrapped up in tradition. Yes, you are. You got the tradition that you don't like their tradition. Amen. Hello? I'd say Josh maybe has seen me in blue jeans, what, three or four times in my life? <laughs> he said it was weird. <laughs> I mow in dress pants. I mow the yard in dress pants. 
I fish in dress pants. And I, I don't stand out there in the water with my belly showing. I, I wear shirt, dress shirt. I fish. I wear shoes because I talk in 15 different languages if I walk across a gravel bar. But I want you to understand it has nothing to do with what you wear. It has nothing to do with what you eat. It has everything to do with attitude and who you believe. That you believe Jesus Christ. If you're putting your trust in the great song service, if you're putting your trust even in a, a preacher, and you say, I like the preacher. If you're putting your trust in the preacher, wrong. If you're putting your trust in the song leader, wrong. If you're putting your trust in the kind of music, wrong. If you're putting your trust in the name that your church has, wrong. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter how you worship as long as you worship from your heart. What matters is you don't get caught up like these scribes and Pharisees saying, Corban, you try to get around doing right. Amen? And Jesus Christ says what defiles a man is not what he eats or what she wears or what he wears. What defiles a man is not on the outside. And nothing on the outside that can defile you. It's what's on the inside that defiles you. Such as blasphemy, lying, covetous. And only Jesus Christ can get inside did you hear me? Only Jesus Christ can get inside. And when he gets inside, he'll work the outside out. Amen? In that first part of Mark chapter 7, he says, you, you know, you wash the outward part of the vessel, and so, and, but inwardly you're filthy. Well, I understood that if you stick the, the, the cup, when I did dishes, you stick the cup or the glass, if you stick it in the, in the sink and you wash it on the inside, when you pull it out, the outside's going to be clean. If you clean the inside, the outside's going to be automatically clean. But if you clean just the outside, you're going to put gravy in the dish strainer or whatever. Amen? Some of you look like you ain't washed dishes in 50 years. I appreciate the dishwasher. I really do. It was deliverance in my home. Amen. My mom would tell us, the boys get in there and wash dishes. And I'd say, Mom, let the girls wash dishes. She said, they can't wash the dishes all the time. Besides that, you need to make some wife a good husband someday. And, and, hey, I've washed dishes for Judy. I have. I've washed dishes for Judy. I remind her of that quite often, but I have. But I didn't change diapers for her. Not on her or the babies. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! I've got to quit before this message gets back to where she is. Hear me. Hear me. You have nothing to prove to me by what you wear. 
And you have nothing to prove to God but what you wear. You have nothing to prove to God but what you eat. Now, we need to eat right because, you know, you've you got cholesterol and all that stuff. You need to eat right. But that's, that's hygiene. That's your health, your physical health. But you have nothing to prove to me. And I should not have anything to prove to you other than the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And it makes no difference what you wear. It makes no difference what you eat. It makes no difference what you put in their mouth and goes down out into the draw. It does make a difference how you act if you drink the wrong thing. Because the things that come out of you defile you. It's not the liquor itself, but what comes out of you by drinking it that defiles you. But only Jesus Christ can cleanse us and save us. Are you glad you came today? Amen. I hope I answered some uh, questions for you today. Tradition, this is a tradition that's gone bad, that's gone bad. Not all traditions are bad. I'm thankful for, for the tradition of potlucks every special day at church. I'm thankful for that tradition. I'm thankful for the Sunday night tradition, the Wednesday night tradition coming to church. I'm thankful for the, the, the preaching of God's Word and the music, the music tradition. It is. It's tradition. Preaching is tradition, is, although you've got to have the preaching, the Word of God, and you've got to have worship in your heart. But there's no set rules. You can't condemn anyone on the external it's what is inside that God wants to make whole and clean. And if you haven't had Jesus Christ change your life, so how do I know that? Preacher, how do I know if I've really truly been born again? How do I know if I've really truly been cleaned on the inside? How do I know? Listen to what you say. Watch what you do. Listen to how you respond. Where's your priorities? What have you been doing? That tells you whether or not you're a child of God because God changes everything in our lives. Amen. Stand with me. Got a good crowd this morning. A tradition gone bad. I'm glad that the church has some traditions, shaking of hands, loving each other, shouting amen, praising the Lord. I'm glad we have traditions of singing and worshiping God. I'm glad that some of them traditions are wonderful. They're awesome. And I'm even glad that some people have traditions of dressing up nice. And I believe others have tradition of dressing down. That's, that's not a problem. Please hear me. How you dress is not a problem. What you eat is not a problem. If there is a problem, it's inside. And only Jesus Christ can correct that. I can't. Only Jesus Christ can. Altar's open. You come.